0: If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where I talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. I am your host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And welcome back to a new season. Got a lot of great responses to the season coming back. Last week's episode with Trevor Price talking about Kulipari, talking about poison frogs, talking about Mark Hamill, talking about uh, cold calling studio executives. I, I Honestly, I felt bad all week for all the people I did not just cold call with my ideas. I need to get back on that horse. So Trevor, thank you for the inspiration. And honestly, it's just good to have you all back. It was a lot of fun rolling out the guests last fall. Rick Pitino, Eddie George, Baron Davis, Natalie Coughlin, many others. And you know, we're back at it. Big show's coming up. Really excited to see where we go. And look, let's just dive right in today. Because we've got Yahoo NBA reporter Sirit Sohi talking... Madmen. That's right, Madmen. Listeners of this show since the beginning, all the way back to 2015, know that I am a Madman. Stan, <laughs> if that's uh, if that's the appropriate use of that term, I love me some Madmen. I-, I watched the show when it was first out. I watched the show again uh, when I started to find um, reruns on the Audience Network. That's right. I was a Direct TV guy uh, to watch my Bengals and a uh, one of the very few benefits of direct tv is uh, M- mad men reruns <laughs> always on and now i just you know rediscovered the show on netflix recently and i got to say it's just one of my all time favorites and part of that is like i come from the marketing You know, communications, advertising world. So I do have a kind of a special connection and relationship with some of the things on the show around their business, around client agency dynamics, that kind of stuff. But, you know, overall, look, this is one of the greatest uh, television shows ever created. The the characters, the depth of it. So when Sirit said that, you know, this is what she wanted to talk about, I was just like, yeah. I'm all in, and so we we break it all down. You know, we're going deep on favorite episodes, best seasons, favorite moments. I also give her the chance to correct me as I start rolling out Mad Men lines where I've mixed episodes from that were like three seasons apart, and she's like, "Yeah, actually, uh, you don't know maybe as much as you do." <laughs> but that's what I love about talking to people with this level of passion, because siri has got a ton of interesting perspectives on the show, what it meant to her watching it the first time versus watching it in reruns. And this is a show where I think you can just kind of discover so much uh, every time you you revisit it. Um, There's something new, some new wrinkle, some new depth to the performance. Uh, Roger's doing something in the background (laughs) that you hadn't noticed before. So I had a lot of fun. If you're not a fan of the show, I think of this as like... Yeah, yeah, you know, maybe not your episode, <laughs> but I actually honestly believe it's a good sort of entree into it. You get to hear two Mad Men fans talk about the show, what they like about it, why they were drawn to it. It might be uh, an entree into the world where you want to, you know, uh, check it out after that. And if you are a Mad Men head, you know, gear up. Let's do this. <laughs> All right. So we're jumping into it, talking Mad Men. And then afterwards, stick around. I will be back to distract you. Whenever people pick topics, I, I can never quite tell if it's just something they really like talking about, overanalyzing, if they have a personal connection to it. So when when you picked Mad Men, the first thought I had was do you find it to be like your favorite show ever? Or do you maybe rank it perhaps the greatest show you've ever seen? Like what is it about this that makes you like kind of breaking it down?
1: It's definitely my favorite show. It's hard to say it's the best show just for you know all the technical reasons that people decide makes things the best
0: yeah <laughs>
1: and, you know, I'll, i guess i'll leave that up to the the experts and it also i think it just had enough in seven seasons that you can't actually call it the best show but i think it's pretty close and If the rankings were based solely on my opinion, then it would definitely be the best show.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've watched the show probably three times now. It's on. We had DirecTV for years and um, still use their streaming service, and it's on the Audience Network every day. And then they show rerun kind of clusters on Sundays. So I've I've caught it a couple times. It's it's the rare TV show that I prefer on second viewings because I'm kind of just not. You know, staring so closely for plot, I'm sort of watching who's doing what. How does this fit into the broader context of where the character is going? So, how how would you describe your your first viewing of the show and the and and the series versus you know, subsequent revisiting?
1: Well, the first time I tried to watch it, I was 17, and I was like, "Well, this is really <laughs> slowing <and> down." <dumb>, so, <laughs> I guess we can skip over that that one. And then I think I think later on in university, I started watching it again and. Yeah, I was just really fascinated by different things, I think, when, when I watched it the first time. I think just the era, and, well, the 60s, and, oh, this is a JFK assassination episode, and this is a Cuban missile crisis, and this is the election. And, like, I always I always tried to find, like, parallels between between dawn and, like, Nixon, or, you know, just, like, Pete and... And, and, Kennedy and just watching, watching somebody like Roger just come to terms with the fact that he's not on top anymore. And he's aging out of the point where he, he like no longer is as relevant or as respected and just kind of, kind of seeing everybody project their insecurities. Um, mostly I'd say the first time I watched it, <clears throat> probably I think I, I think I paid a little bit more attention to Don than anybody else. And then when you watch it again, you kind of, You kind of find yourself feeling for a lot of female characters in the show, and uh, I saw upon rewatch. It's funny to think about this now because I I would think I would like to think that if I watched it now, I'd kind of like get it from from the outset. And you know, Don's chauvinistic and you know, not very nice to people in his life. And at the end of the day, he's always going to be a sympathetic character because of how well written the show is. But you know, you're not necessarily supposed to, to feel that bad for him all the time. And, you know, I watch it more and more and I find myself identifying with Peggy or, you know, I see things that Betty goes through in her marriage with him or just, you know, Joan in the workplace. And, uh, and they all just have such fascinating character arcs that saw them change into completely different people, but in a way that was really believable and just watching them change with the era and, you know, I've, like, Peggy, Peggy in general was fascinating to me because, you know, it's not like they had this legacy of feminism to, to kind of purge themselves on and kind of take, uh, take lessons from, And you know, Peggy's relationship with Catholicism was always fascinating to me, just, you know, seeing her way in and out and, like, the guilt she felt over, you know, so many things in her life, especially the baby, and then, you know, get, like, kind of wean herself off of Catholicism, and I don't know, I feel like I'm just rambling, and there's just kind of, like, touching base on all the different things I engage with, like, in different, different times that I've watched it, but yeah, that's kind of what I watch more for now. Now, yeah, I've watched it so many times, but I find myself now kind of trying to figure out the the characters I didn't pay that much attention to. So the yeah. last time I watched it, I was really like, I was like, I was really, really paying a lot of close attention to Pete because I feel like I mean, he's always been a central character. But he, I think, just because of, you know, he was, he was like the spoiled one, right? Like you just you just never wanted to sympathize with him. So now I kind of I kind of try to see like, well, like what's Pete's in her life really like, and what about Roger? And then the Great White Whale, I think, <laughs> for me is always super. I just don't, I have no idea what's <laughs> on at all so <laughs> I mean, it's funny you talk about the show like you talk about them like your real characters. And that's, that's something I felt when when the show was ending it was it was very, it was sad to me because I think despite the fact that all the storylines kind of run their course and it was a totally t- reasonable time for the show to end I just would have had no problem with like five more seasons of following these guys lives around and I think that's really a credit to the character development in the show and the writing on the show that you would really care about the lives of some pretty average people, if we're being honest, and not not the most sympathetic people either.
0: I think that's a great point. In fact, I have a really complicated feeling about the last season. It's it's not that I like, don't like it, per se. I just find it so much less... Um, Descript than uh, you know than the earlier seasons, which all f- kind of felt yeah. like they had uh, you know such intentionality with the writing. They knew exactly what they wanted to do, and the last one just kind of like lurches forward in weird ways for me. But I also like your note on the character arcs, because the first time I watched the show, I mean, clearly it, it would be kind of a hot take for me to say that I didn't c- consider Don to be the the core or the MVP of the show. But I I think Joan has the best arc in that. Her whole first few seasons about her just trying to pine for a man to be... Uh, for her to sort of take care of and, and make her own new version of The Office. And then when she finally just ends realizing, I'm going to take my skills and work and, and, and do it myself. But to your point, I think they could have taken her character way off the rails after the Jaguar episode, which was such a... I still think kind of I have uh, mixed feelings about whether I actually ever liked you know what they did to her and how that changed her role in the show becoming a partner but at the end when she breaks out and does her own thing it does feel earned and it and it 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 never it's such a departure but it never felt like i well i couldn't have seen this coming because over the past three years they've really kind of been incrementally moving her forward in this direction Mm
1: -hmm. yeah they were just so patient and smart i think with a lot of the decisions that they made with a lot of these characters. I mean, the the biggest trip ever is when you watch the finale. And then if you ever just go straight back to episode one, everybody's very different. And like, you see it right away. I mean, like the way Peggy dresses and acts and she's so timid and, you know, she just wants to be a good secretary and just doesn't understand the office dynamic at all. And, you know, she's got Joan trying to take her under her wing and (laughs) sorry, excuse me. They, they just do such a such a fantastic job that they're, they're almost unrecognizably different, all of them, by by the end of it. And there are so many great moments. I think between those two specifically, the one the one that always comes to comes to my mind is when Peggy sounds <laughs> like such a ridiculous lot. When Peggy doesn't know she's pregnant and she's gaining weight around the end of the first season. Joan kinda of comes up to her and, you know, suggests that she uh, she start losing starts losing a little bit of weight and you know, it's just a great line. It was something along the lines of, you know, you're, you're hiding you're hiding a beautiful figure with too much lunch, which is just the most difficult thing <laughs> I've heard anyone say to another woman. And and um, you know, she Peggy just kind of essentially says, no, she's happy being, you know, she she gets to be a copywriter. Like, why does Joan tell, like, where who is Joan to tell her what to do? And Joan kind of looks shocked and she's thinking, oh, wait, you actually wanted to be a copywriter. I thought you were trying to get closer to one of the male copywriters. And Peggy just has this amazing moment of, of realization about who Joan is. And she's like, oh, you think you're helping me.
0: Right. I love that line.
1: And she just, and she just walks away. And it was just, it was incredible, and there was another great, great, great line in there that <laughs> that Peggy says to Joan is just about how much they go back and forth at each other, and she's like, "Men know two things about you: which is that you're that you want to get married, and that you're a lot of fun, and not in that order." Which was just just an incredible bird. that I don't know if I don't know how well either of those would play on television today.
0: You mentioned other moments, or or some of these like signature moments. I I I really really love when Peggy quits the agency. I think it's after they win the Jaguar pitch, right? And Don is down in the dumps because he realized it wasn't as creative that got it done. And then just how emotional that is—how he goes through sort of the you know the stages of denial and anger, and then he, acceptance, and 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 when she says, Are, you know?" um, You'll never speak to me again, and, and he goes, "No, I, I'll spend the rest of my career trying to hire you." I, I just always love some of those like quiet moments of of like mutual respect that come through all the other emotions on the show that you see.
1: So I'm actually gonna have to hit you up with well, actually, and, and also a little bit giveaway how many times I've seen this show. So the, <laughs> when he says that when he says that he'll spend the rest of his life trying to hire her, that was actually in the season three finale when he tries to get. Peggy to come over to the new firm that they're kind of just trying to to put together right away and she's about to leave and then she actually eventually agrees to uh, to come on. And earlier in that episode, you know, he he kinda of walked up walked up to Peggy and said, Well, this is how it's gonna be and we have to go to the firm and she was like, Wait, you didn't you're not even bothering to ask me So that was kind of Don realizing his wrongs and that he actually had to value Peggy as an employer if he wanted to get her to work for her. And then, yeah, the the Jaguar one, I thought, was really fascinating because of what had come before. There was the whole pitch that they made to the Jaguar, uh, to to the company, was essentially, like the tagline was about the fact that you can't tame a beautiful woman. And uh, (laughs) they they made the tagline finally something beautiful you can truly own. My god, the show was chauvinistic. <laughs> and
0: uh, yeah, all well, the
1: characters, some of the characters were. And uh you know, just to just to have that playing alongside Joan and the fact that she had to sleep with a jaguar executive before that happened and then to have him lose Peggy who is truly, you know, was never dubbed as one of the most beautiful women on the show, but as far as you know she never she never really settled down with any guy she was always you know pretty tough in relationships and you know tough on herself and you know i think battled battled with herself really about what she wanted and you know i think that came out a lot in in her relationships with people was like she was the one that was essentially unattainable and she walked away from him at right that moment which i thought was just really poetic
0: I agree. Thank you for the... Uh, well, actually, by the way, I can't believe I mixed that up, especially because Shut the Door, Have a Seat is my favorite Mad Men episode of all time. Um, and you're right. It's when she's gonna she's getting the offer from Duck to join the other agency. Right. Um, okay. So let's talk about your favorite episode because Shut the Door, Have a Seat is mine. I think a lot of people lean in on The Suitcase. It's probably the popular pick. Do you have one episode that you just think is is your favorite?
1: The suitcase is absolutely my favorite episode. Okay. Just to, because the thing, the Mad Men, like the thing with Mad Men was that it was so good at making you want more of your favorite characters kind of intermingling. Like, obviously, Peggy and Don were a huge on-screen hit. Like, there's no way that they weren't. I mean, I don't know what the Nielsen numbers were, but I'm assuming that like they shot off the charts when those two were on the screen together. But the show was still so sparing when it came to really putting them together in a room. And that episode, for I think, for people who crave that, and I'm one of those people, it was just fantastic. And just, just to also see, you know, Peggy, Peggy's relationship with work versus her relationship with people, and 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 her boyfriend at the time, just play out the way that it did was so interesting to see. And you know, like all the stuff that Don was going through at the same time was, yeah. I just, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a high watermark of the series, and just. Just completely utilized all the characters' flaws and their desires together, in just such a great way.
0: I agree. I think it's probably the best character study in the in the show. Um, I, the reason I love "Shut the Door, Have a Seat" is because it, it, it. I don't. I guess I, I would describe it as it's almost like a caper. Like, I, and, and part of me loves the. Just loves the idea of them at their best when they are challenging convention, and and yet all the whole time, the from the moment Don and Pete are at each other's throats, and, and, and you know, and Roger's hitting on Don's wife, it's all about the tensions between the characters, and it's like that rare moment where everything is actually singing, and I just, I, I, it's always really spoken to me. But you know, I I don't know. My wife always loves the episode where. Um, the guy from London gets his, you know, uh, they'd have the party and, and the John Deere's there and, the, you know, the, the foot gets oh, run yeah, over. Yeah. And I... The, the guy the,
1: walks into an advertising agency. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy's forg- foot was run over. was actually named Guy. So oh. that was... <laughs> up
0: with. I, underrated, I really like the episode where McCann is first courting Don and they give Betty the modeling contract and it kind of <laughs> ends with her uh you know w- with him not wanting to do it and then her not being able to do it because of Don not taking the job and then she makes it seem like she wants to walk away and they had this kind of beautiful tension where you know he's trying to pretend like he's the good guy and she she's doing the same thing and then it kind of ends with her outside just shooting the neighbor's pigeons which i thought was <laughs> the one quintessential betty moment that i that i love so i want to ask you this are you a- are you pro or con Betty Draper, and and I guess this is really sort of an unfair, or maybe maybe fair, depending on where you net out on, on it. Uh, you know, referendum on on how you feel like January Jones held her held her own against, you know, some other actors who I think have 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 gone on to greater things.
1: Hmm. Um. Well you know I always I always thought that was a tougher chicken or the egg thing because I thought she played Betty in a very submissive way and and, and almost, like somebody who whenever she was in a tense moment just didn't know what to do which I think is probably true to what the real life Betty would have been like yeah. that's that's why I think that episode is so it's so good and it's it's really her signature moment because it's the first time, and maybe I think I, I think aside from like way way later in the series, and maybe when she gets divorced from Dawn, that she, it was the first time we saw her. Well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 the only time. It's the only time that she really took control of her life, because you know I think I think if you remember earlier in that episode, the like Sally Sally had a bad dream because. The neighbor said that he was going to shoot the dog if he ate any more birds. And right. she came into the room, and it became this thing of, like, you know, Betty wasn't there because she was modeling, and this bad thing happened. Now the kid is crying. And I think that was, it was really the only moment where she said, no, like, I'm not having this right now. I'm just going to do the completely aggressive thing, damn the consequences, and... Through you for ruining this opportunity for me, and it was it was interesting because, you know, he wasn't like the, that guy was not the reason that she didn't get to continue modeling, but he was also the only person that she, that she could lash out at as right. well. Right. Yeah. Like the only she could have done that was done, and the other all the other moments in her life where she really took control, you know, it wasn't really up until she was dying and she continued to go to school because. You know, she wouldn't even. She had her third kid despite knowing that Don was cheating on her, that they probably shouldn't be married, and then she didn't get a divorce from him until she was certain that there was another man out there to support her. And that was just like the reality of her situation. There probably wasn't much that she could do about it. So that that moment just always like struck a chord with me, just because of both how how in control she was at that moment but also how inconsequential she
0: was. Yeah, that's a that's a really nice reading of it. And do, do you have any I guess what which of the seasons do you kind of if you were to say, just say hey, I'm going to sit down on a Sunday, I'm doing some work, but I want something familiar on. I'm going to start Mad Men at what point? Like where where's your sort of natural entry point that you that you want to go back to more often maybe than some of the rest?
1: I think season two is a big one for me just because that's when we really start to see the bulk of a lot of character development. Uh, you see, you see Don and, and Betty's marriage start to fall apart in a lot of ways. You see Peggy starting to come into her own. Pete's, Pete's dad dies, and he kind of reconciles with the fact that he thinks that he married the wrong woman. And you know, it's just it, it, the way that it all collides in the final episode of the of the, of the season, just meditations and an emergency, is really that always sticks to me. And I think I think just because I like that episode so much and the way that it builds, I end up really enjoying that season. And I also I really I think people go back and forth on this, but I'm a fan of Dawn in California. I think Dawn in California is very enlightening. And that was the first time we really saw that. Get to, to see him beat Dick Whitman again, and you know, meet the real Betty Draper, and just you know, see it was. It, and it was really a testament to John Hamm's acting too, the fact that he could he could totally just turn into a different person when he when he was playing Dick Whitman. He would smile bigger. He would act coy and shy, and like kind of you know, he was he was almost like a, a child again in a lot of ways, and that was. That I thought was always uh, enlightening, and by the way, much better than me. I just I hated every childhood flashback. I was like, can we just please end? This thing right now? I don't think there's a single one that I thought would, that needed to exist. And yeah, I just I don't know. I think maybe that that, that child all could just like completely, Like he looked like he should be on the Adam Show. I don't like it was it, it was just there was just a lot of a lot of stuff that I think uh, left a lot to be desired and could have been left on the cutting room floor with that but that's an aside and i just I, I with season two i just i love i love that scene at the end when when uh, pete says to peggy you know when uh, to, to put it all in context is uh it's it's a cuban it's the height of the cuban missile crisis and nobody really knows whether they're going to live or die and seeing the way that the characters reckon with their mortality is really interesting i think uh I think oh, I always forget his name. Oh, Harry! Uh, the way that he was just thinking numbers and oh, nobody's be really watching TV and like just thinking about the short-term problems versus Pete is having an existential crisis. Right. He doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to be in. I think upstate New York where uh, his like uh, Trudy, where Trudy lives with uh, with her family and Peggy comes to work, and of course, like, they see each other at work, and he kind of cracks, of course you be at work, and, like, you know, they kind of, they always had that sort of level of camaraderie and, and understanding between each other, and, you know, he he comes to Peggy, and he says that he thinks he made the wrong choice, that he should have married her, because he realized that Peggy actually knows her, and really he doesn't, and then Peggy just drops the biggest bomb. Yeah. <laughs> ever. And, you know, tells Pete that she had her son and that she could have married him. And I thought that was just such a huge moment for Peggy. Because that entire episode, the I, I, Tom Hanks' son plays like a pastor and is trying to convince Peggy to be honest with God about her child that she gave up. And, you know, she doesn't take the God part, but she takes the honesty part. And she has this. Like really true moment of reckoning with the father of her child, and you know that's kind of the way that she, I guess, absolves herself in her own eyes, like just using, you know, her Catholicism with, with her own personal beliefs and you know who she wanted to be. And that was just it, it. It was just a fascinating moment. And there's so much. There's so much that built up to the episode that I thought was was really great, and you know, Betty finally for the first time, I think, and really the only time cheating on Dawn. Just because, I mean, like, I think that was, that was like her way of blowing off steam. She wasn't going to make a whole entire life change because Don cheated on her because she was pregnant and all the stuff that she was doing that she should have been dealing with head on. She was just like, no, I'll just, you know, find this handsome man at the bottle, I'll sleep with him and then I'll go back. And, and, and Don kind of did the same thing where he, he fought for something that probably he shouldn't have been fighting for any longer either.
0: First of all, Elizabeth Moss is like a powerhouse. I mean, she was so unbelievable in the show. And the fact that she didn't win like 30 30 or seven straight Emmys is a crime. Um, But the thing I want to key on about what you were saying with with her and Pete, or maybe even like Pete and Don, Don and his past, a lot of times Mad Men would go very deep into these, you know, one or two season long character threads and then kind of have the courage to just Move beyond and turn it into more of an echo. And I would never compare Mad Men to like a show like Suits in a uh, classical sense, but Suits was a show that started with a similar premise. This character is not who they say they are. And then every season rolled that back until, th- you know, it just, the whole thing's off the rails and you can't escape the cloud of it. And I thought one of the smartest things Mad Men was able to do was say, okay, this show started as Peggy and Pete, but by season four, that is mostly over except for maybe Ted Shaw catching them having a knowing glance in a bar. It's a callback. It's not it's not something that we're handcuffed to. So I just wonder right. from from your perspective, you know, how do you how do you appreciate just how much confidence the you know the showrunners had in we're going to take this where we want to take it and not you know, deal with fan service um, or having to feel like we can't abandon something that was that was greeted well before.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things where if you want to make the argument about Mad Men being the best show is, it is, I think, I think television has evolved in a lot of ways since, but at the time it was the most emotionally intelligent show that I had ever seen for reasons like that. You know, they were really honest about how people act when relationships fizzle out and they don't have all these moments where you go back to each other. Like there's, it's actual, it's actually awkward stiffness and not knowing how to act around each other. And, you know, then having, you know, way later on these kind of moments of camaraderie and realizing that you kind of, everybody's over it. And now we can kind of just respect this thing that we once had. And that's, that I think is a lot more true to life than a lot of TV shows where it's all electric all the time and, you know, you're either you hate each other, or you love each other. And a lot of the times, I know life goes on and you don't think about somebody for a while. You see them. And then if you work with somebody, you kind of just have to deal with them on a day to day basis. And you just kind of compartmentalize and start to consider it normal.
0: It's not known as a quotable show, but I think there's a lot of quotes. I'm just curious if anything from the show is something you, you trot out quite a bit <laughs> in your normal conversation.
1: No, that's probably not a normal conversation. But the one that sticks out to me a lot is uh, when Don went to visit Peggy when she was when she had just given up the baby and she was kind of just in the hospital and they were they were holding her there because they were like, well, she didn't even know she was pregnant, so there's probably something wrong with her, essentially. <laughs> and uh, they and he he comes to visit her and she kind of you know she she seems to think that. You know, she's not talking a lot, but I think his sense is that she thinks that her life is be irrepar- irreparably changed after this. And he just kind of looks at her and he's like, do what they tell you, you know, listen to them. You'll get out of here. And that was, that's kind of paraphrased. But then this part is a complete quote. This never happened. It will shock you how much this never happened. Right. And that was just chilling. It was really chilling. Cause I think, I think that's, that's kind of the heart of the show and the heart of a lot of these guys' character uh, character arcs. It's them running away from who they are and in large part, I think, succeeding, but then these occasional moments where it all kind of comes crashing back at you. So I think think in a lot of ways, on a macro level, he was right, and on a micro level, he was wrong. And I think the show always just played with that so well.
0: I do uh, I do occasionally say, let's go someplace darker uh, from the suitcase when they find the cockroach on the if wall. That was, if that was cooler. I would definitely, like, just,
1: you know, go to a bar. That's definitely one that I would
0: do. <laughs> uh, I've heard two interpretations of the ending of the series that I buy. One is that he, you know, literally wrote the Coke commercial, found inner peace, went back you know, embraced being an ad man and, and, and made it work Two is that he found inner peace, but it's only a matter of time before that experience will also be commodified and co-opted by the advertising industry. Where do you net out or do you have a different interpretation altogether?
1: I am. I, I follow, I fall very, very heavily on the second interpretation of it. Well, that's, and that said though, I, I do think he, every time John falls off the deep end, he, gets closer to the person he wants to be. I don't think he'd ever get there, but you know, maybe by the second or third time, you know, I don't know I don't know how old he is in, in real life now, <laughs> this fictional character. Maybe he's a little bit more uh, mellowed out now. I, I think the core of the show is that people are who they are but they can make efforts to to better themselves in a way that they can still have manageable and somewhat emotionally healthy lives, despite things that might have happened to them.
0: Yeah, I also think the second interpretation is um, just—I mean, just not like a little bit nicer that like Don moves; he decides to finally move forward into something new. But that advertise—I guess it's, it's also a more cynical view of advertising, which um, I also f- find compelling. But I, I you know, I, and, and John <laughs> Hamm's come out and said, "No, I think he wrote the commercial and stuff." So you never—I mean, I think that's now becoming more of the popular interpretation. But I, I still think it's a little bit more. Mad many to say no, he didn't. But this is not more of a statement about his entire industry and everything he had. He had been—you y- can't escape it. The advertising will follow wherever the right. people go and try to commodify them.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a great
0: read. Would you have worked for McCann Erickson? <laughs> um, yeah,
1: probably. You know, do your time. <laughs> I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah. I give guess it a shot. You could have- you can avoid it, but it seems like it seems like it was unavoidable. Essentially,
0: what gripes do you have with the show? What, what what's something that you would change?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought just Lane Price as a character generally just didn't need to exist <laughs> at all. <laughs> I don't know, like what what were your thoughts on on Lane?
0: Well, I, someone had to kick Pete's ass at one point, and I'm glad it was Lane. Um, you know, in their
1: like for uh for roger to just give him
0: like an army style beat down yeah that's a good point roger was someone that i thought uh at a certain point they sort of just like meandered along i thought him ending up with megan's mom was um i guess appropriate in a way but almost on such a surface level way like for me i always thought i guess I i got suckered into always thinking that at the end the the, the dollars would fall through or maybe Roger would just realize he's purposeless and, and he may actually jump off of the building like he's it looks like he's doing in the um in the credits. I remember that was a popular fan theory at the time. So I'm not saying I wanted him dead. I just I, I just I didn't I didn't know that I, I, I pictured him ending up smoking in a Montreal cafe as like, oh, this is closure for his character.
1: Right. It was definitely a bit precious. Like if if we're being real, the way Roger was supposed to die was once again with with two women locked in his office and having right. a heart attack this time the ambulance doesn't show up on time. Like, that would have been a much more appropriate ending, I think, for, for his character. I didn't find it particularly believable. Along with a lot of other stuff in the finale, just, uh, you know, Peggy and, and Stan,
0: mm-hmm. you know, if you wanted
1: to make that happen, there were probably better ways to do it. And I mean, Madden was always at its best when it was subtle, I think, and even to just have Peggy and Stan Give each other a an knowing glance or just like accidentally touch hands or something like that. Like, I think Mad Men has a type of sense where you, you can trust them to understand what that means. Like, for them to have that phone call and like the, oh, I've been in love with you this whole time. Oh my God, am I in love with you? Like, that was just, uh, it was hard for me to believe. The only the only part of that that I thought was believable was just Peggy being completely out of touch with her feelings until somebody brings it up to her. Like that that part made sense to me, but every other part of it just uh, it felt like a rom-com movie ending in what has always been a
0: very cerebral show. I agree with that. I, I there is some on re-watching it. There, I do laugh when she's like, "What? <laughs> what?" Um, but. It's, <laughs> It doesn't feel earned in the same way. I will tell you, my biggest gripe with the show is Ted Shaw, who I felt was such. I thought always thought it was genius that they gave Don this this other upstart mid-level guy who's always a step ahead. You know, like the the RFK impression and that kind of stuff. And their back and forth was so great, their rivalry. And then when they joined forces, I, I was like, oh, this is interesting too. Like we get to see their you know the differences their management style has within the office culture and and the effect it has on people. And then I always thought he was a great yin and, you know, to Don's yang in terms of he gives Peggy all the emotional support that she's, that she's craving, but then also manipulates that and then can't quite commit. Um, And I always thought that was a nice, like, you know, interplay between them. And then they, he should have just left after that. Then he just hangs around for another two seasons. And you're like, why is Ted Shaw having a midlife crisis and taking up this entire episode when I haven't seen him in six weeks?
1: Yeah, they could have just had him on the occasional phone call and, like, obviously they weren't going to have him leave the company or anything like that. But, yeah, it just didn't really make sense to have him basically fall apart at the seams in ways that, you know, it was was hard to – they didn't really do a good job of explaining why either, other than that he moved to California.
0: Well, and I think I always thought of it – California's not that bad. (laughs) I always thought of it as him saying – I, I'm unhappy, but I'm committing to this marriage. But then later, he's divorced and he's dating someone new in New York, and you're like, What? What? Like, I don't get uh, If you divorce your wife, go chase Peggy down. I don't understand any of this.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Although, I also think that's one of those things the show did a pretty good job of, too, where it wasn't like, it never made anybody feel like they were destined to be together. And,. You know, maybe I think in a real life situation that probably just wouldn't work out that way because Peggy would kind of be a reminder of like uh, of the man that he doesn't want to be
0: almost. Yeah,
1: and uh, I think I think for Peggy it would probably be be true in, in in some different ways as well.
0: Where do we stand on like creepy? Uh, where do we stand on creepy neighbor Glenn and his relationship with Betty?
1: <laughs> I I honestly don't know. I mean, just some of it's 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 I think it's extra creepy because it's almost believable. Like, pick where Betty, you know, probably would have never really, like, you know, crossed a line in in a, in a in a physical way, but uh, still craves male attention and and uh, and real emotional attention because of the fact that she wasn't getting here from Dawn enough that you know she was getting some satisfaction from this little boy having a crush on her, and then just to see they had such a neurotic sort of i don't know it's like this obsession with each other that was you dispelling some very dark emotional needs and that to me was obviously it was, it was creepy from a surface level standpoint but just how just how honest it it was about how how gross people can get when their emotional needs are are being fulfilled is i think very telling in a way. And the fact that it was believable, I thought was the most creepy part about it, if that makes
0: sense. <laughs> it does. In fact, I'm with you that the the best creepy stuff the show did was when it was really subtle, but on rewatching, like there's one scene in, the, I think it's season two where the comedian's wife and Don are having an affair. Betty starts to sniff around, you know, he tips her off to it. Then she goes looking for proof. And especially after, um, you know her her neighbor friend who had just had a baby comes over and she she had checked or you know the phone records and realized her husband was was calling Manhattan and having an affair and she's just talking to Betty and she's like I'll just kill him and then she just keeps talk kind of she's in a daze and she's like I'll just kill the kids mm-hmm. and and Betty's like you're you're crazy but when you look at it it's a pretty probably. Um, uh, it happened. Re- yeah, realistic portrayal of postpartum depression, especially at a time when there were no mental health options <laughs> available for, for women. And, and so I do I do think that there's, again, revisiting the show, you find subtle things like that that I find so, that I can just fall into and be like, oh man, I never thought about that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's always what I loved about the show. I mean, that was, that was a two-minute scene that really dives into a very complex, realistic, situation that people go through and then it's just done. We move on to the next. Right. Like big qualms people trying to to live together and not hurt each other at the same time.
0: Let me close with this. I watched the show as, you know, a white guy in my 20s and 30s and I thought of it as progressive at the time. But as a woman of color, like how do you process how the show tap danced around a lot of problematic issues. And as the show clearly went on, it took more scrutiny for you're not even trying with African-American experience in this time. Um, it did have some missteps. So what, what was your sort of um, reaction to the way that it tried to, I think it, I think it did make a good faith effort to try and, um, you know, present a, a progressive look back at this area. And yet, where did it where did it miss for you or or how did it ha- how did it do I guess
1: one of the big misses I think was uh, when they had when it was the MLK assassination and they were all at a ballroom and all the white people in the ballroom were crying I was just like <laughs> that didn't happen <laughs> <laughs> that didn't happen anywhere I'm sorry <laughs> like I don't I don't care that it's New York I don't care that it's advertising like I, 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 advertising is also like a weirdly liberal sort of spear where you know i think the the pocket is conservative but the mind is liberal so mm-hmm. you know I, th- I think at the end of the day they were almost always thinking bottom line and there were times in the show where i think you know there was the, that was that plot where where pete tried to try to market to a black uh audience for for television and basically got shouted out of the room and almost almost got fired because the client was was so upset about it and yeah, but that it, it's true that that was almost always the total level of uh, of reckoning, I guess, with with that. Other than having having Don Don the Secretary come in as a character, I think it would I think it probably would have served the show to have the African American experience in it more, just because of the fact that it was. It was like it was a very white show, but it was also a show that was about people trying to aspire to be what they can't be. So to have a character, maybe that was, you know, it just I I, I think they probably, maybe they toggled back and forth with like the realisticness of of uh, an advertising firm hiring somebody as a copywriter that was black at the time. But like let's say they did that, I think it would have been really fascinating to see how they. How they dealt with the experiences of of that person trying to to make it in a very white, a very rich, very you know proper sort of of world, it, and it, I just don't think the show really had an excuse because that would have it would have fit perfectly in with the theme. I,
0: I'm with you. I I always kind of thought I can't believe we're going another season, and the best they're gonna do here is like you know, a a couple minutes of Dawn here and there or Peggy's secretary got the flowers and she's being condescending. I mean, there were some nice moments. I thought the the exchange between Peggy and Dawn when Dawn's going to stay over and Peggy is so condescending to her and and she sort of basks in, well, if you work hard, anything's possible. And then yet she's still... You know she doesn't want to leave the money in front of her, and I felt like they had a lot more territory like that about the subtle parts of racism, even from well-meaning people, that they just didn't go deeper into.
1: Yeah, yeah, there was a, there was this one scene I think with, when Peggy was dating a journalist, and you know he was talking about civil rights, and, and and Peggy went like ultimate white feminist and was like, "Well, what about me?" And you know, <laughs> right. it's definitely. <laughs> Definitely didn't cast her in a good light, but that was really, that was really the farthest they ever went with it. Either it would be, you know, it would be like overt racism, or you know, I think they had one of the plots where where Kinsey starts dating dating a black woman and just how he's treated for that, and you know, also in ways that were pretty honest about the fact that yeah, he saw himself as like a hipster and wanted to be the guy that like dated a black woman at that time, and I think like and all the, all the men on the show really dated to not not necessarily for for love, but just to show the world a reflection of who they are. Uh,
0: but Joan blew him up so bad, like oh you you so yeah. want to be interesting at this part. you know what I mean? I thought that was so great.
1: <laughs> that was
0: that was. <laughs> well, you do. I, give
1: think the, I think the, way the show dealt with race like from its characters was probably pretty honest, but still to have a black
0: character would have been
1: a, would have would have been a good idea.
0: <laughs> I agree. I agree. And is the, the wheel I think is probably considered the most signature moment of the show. Would you, would you say something is, is, is you know, much more like much more like emblematic of what Mad Men is more so than that?
1: No, I, I think that moment really captures everything about the show because it's, one of, All the other good Mad Men moments are still very subtle, and that one really jam-packed a lot of emotion into, into one moment, and that wasn't really something that Mad Men did a lot of. So if you wanted one moment to really synthesize it, I think it would
0: be that. Well... Uh, you're making me want to go watch reruns right now So I appreciate all the time on this <laughs> oh, I'm definitely,
1: definitely doing that now I'm, re- I'm really glad it's a weekend
0: Yes <laughs> Hit the ground Life's just one big jump shot One big jump, shot. One big jump on, shot Or you might be off So try to maintain And refrain from the strain And don't get lost in the salt. Don't get caught up in it Life's just one big jump shot One need the horn Or you might be all So try to maintain And refrain from the strain And don't get lost in the salt Yeah, yeah, we got Big Malik Silly. Alamo with the A from the Nubian clan, you know what I'm saying? And we are back. In the sports world, athletes, coaches, media, they all do interesting things that express their passions beyond sports. And then we tell them, stop being interesting. You're being a distraction. Get back to watching game film. That's ridiculous. So on this show, I always try to celebrate locker room distractions by telling you what's distracting me this week. And, okay, we watched, my wife and I watched free solo the Alex Honnold documentary about uh his kind of infamous climb up uh Yosemite's uh El Cap I believe it's uh it's called and look it won the Oscar it's kind of a phenomenon you know Alex Honnold has really been uh the the I guess you would say like the the face of climbing for the novice person who doesn't really know this world but would know the guy who goes up these walls with no ropes or you know has run into him doing media interviews or whatever else and so the 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 documentary is so the documentary is great here's what i i would say though don't stop with free solo because i recently also discovered another documentary about that same wall but a different part of it and an entirely different journey and this documentary is called the dawn wall so I guess on El Cap there's like a number of different routes and Alex free soloed one of them but there's another route called the Dawn Wall it's called the Dawn Wall like D A W N because it's the wall that the sun first hits when it comes up and I, I guess it's just a far harder more technical steeper kind of rigid uh uh you know g- steeper kind of glass-like wall that had never been solo climbs. Now there's a difference between solo climbing and free soloing. Solo climbing is you climbing the wall, uh, but you have a rope on you for when you fall. The free soloing is like Alex had no rope, one bad move and bye bye Alex. But I think Alex has already, he's, he's, he said in numerous interviews that like he, there are other climbers that are doing far more technically challenging climbing than he's doing with no rope. And two of them, Tommy Caldwell and Kevin Jorgensen, decided they were gonna they were gonna scale this Dawn wall. But to do that, to solo it, you can start and you've gotta kind of knock down all the different uh, you know, areas of the wall, but you can't leave the wall. <laughs> so they had to just every time they get up to a certain point, just pitch a tent, hang it off of the cliff, and just basically live up there. And they lived up there for like 18 days trying to do this this climb that no one had ever done before and man it is fascinating. I honestly I never thought that I would in the same week I would watch one climbing documentary about you know El Cap in Yosemite and then another one a couple of days later and be equally riveted because it's a totally different type of movie this one's about the dynamic between these two climbers like it's about this like technically very challenging climb that just takes like repeated over and over and over again like trying until you figure out that one thing that's going to let you make the make the moves happen and then there's all sorts of crazy backstory like tommy has had just had this remarkably um fascinating life uh, you know, that involved being kidnapped overseas. That involved, uh, you know, accidents that took off part of his finger. That involves like his own sort of personal, um, you know, tragedies and triumphs. So again, the Dawn Wall. If you saw Free Solo, or you're interested in this kind of stuff, go check out the Dawn Wall too. Don't stop there. I think actually I got kind of into a, a YouTube rabbit hole. <laughs> I watched a bunch of like Alex's climbing videos, and then you know he started name checking like all these other climbers that are doing like this crazy stuff. And it's just fascinating to see that whole world and learn a lot more about it. So highly recommended. Go watch Free Solo. Go watch the Dawn Wall. And then also highly recommended not climbing. (laughs) I am not a climbing guy. I cannot imagine doing this with my spare time. But more power to you if that's your jam. Okay, that is our show for the week. Want to end with some shout outs. Let's shout out Sirat Sohi. Look, the NBA season is really ramping up into high gear uh, we got the playoffs coming, a potentially LeBronless playoffs. Who knew? Um, but I was really happy she carved out some time to talk Mad Men with me. It's one of my favorite subjects, and and this season I'm I'm really trying to steer into stuff that I have like a ton of passion for, just so the conversations are as lively as possible. So thank you to her for uh, for joining. Shout out to uh, Tommy Caldwell, <laughs> Kevin, Alex, all these climbers, and all the people who film them. I filmed some adventure sports stuff and. Man, it is uh, it is it, it, as rigorous sometimes for the crew as the uh, a, as the uh, the people you know doing the deeds. So shout out to them. Shout out to all the listeners coming back for this second solo season. Uh, really appreciate it. If you got ideas for people, you're noticing things going on, or athletes, uh, or media doing cool stuff, you know, just uh, hit me up. JustNotSports at gmail.com, dot JustNotSports on Twitter and the Instagrams, and in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal. Booty Rappers Stay booty